Eindbazen wordt gesponsord door Nutrofit. De webshop voor natuurlijke voedingssupplementen en trainingsmaterialen die je helpen bij het verkrijgen van Total Human Optimization. Nutrofit is hofleverancier van merken zoals Onnit, Natural Stacks en Bulletproof Coffee. Probeer onze producten zonder risico door onze money-back guarantee. Bezoek ons op www.nutrofit.nl. Bestel je voor 9 uur s avonds, dan zorgen wij dat jouw bestelling de volgende dag geleverd wordt. Ja, yeah, no, it's, it's actually amazing. Um, I once saw a meme online that said like uh, the, the human brain is the only thing in the universe that named itself. <laughs> I like that idea. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah, it is true, though. I think it's... Uh, uh, we spoke to uh, people in that podcast that have the brain as a specialist, like neurologists. And one of the things that... Um, well, it's not freaking me out, but that, that amazes me about it is, like you said, how little we actually understand about how it works, what it does, why it does what it does, and the mechanisms involved. And... Well, I don't know how you feel about free will, but these people keep telling me that there's um, a very limited margin for that. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's something that keeps fascinating me. Mm. Do you have uh, any particular feelings about that, by the way? No, no, I don't. Because it, it feels so much like you do have a choice, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the existential reality is that you have choices and then you experience the consequences of those choices. Mm -hmm. And that's the learning. So... Which is so you don't have free will; you have free choice. Mm. So you're you're yeah. You, know, you you may not have you may not have been as far as you know the author of your existence, but uh, you certainly are inside it and making choices. Yeah, you know for it. I think that's a very good distinction. You don't have free will, but you have free choice because what. Um, What people like Sam Harris have taught me is that um, the answers that come up to questions are not voluntary. Like if I ask you about name a city, you know a lot of cities, but there's just one you're going to pick. Um, but you could have chosen out of all these different types of cities. And I think that's uh, the part where you get uh, a choice. There's a couple of options that pop into your brain and you get to pick from those. Mm -hmm. You don't get to pick which options you get presented, but you get to pick between the options the brain presents. Yeah, I think that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's where, uh, for example, if you look at uh, getting things done, uh, why, why even though you may not have free will, it can help you uh, help because all of a sudden you have these options that you didn't have before. Like if you didn't know that in baskets is a good idea, and now you do know, now you have the choice. So yeah, I like that distinction. Free choice. True. Yeah. All right. That's a very philosophical start to uh, <laughs> uh, oh, this, mm, uh, this podcast. Yes. Right. Um, but uh, welcome back, I should say. Uh, Thank you. Welcome back. Yes, Delighted this is to be back. round two yeah, yeah. with uh, Mr. David Allen. I'm older. You're older and wiser. wiser yeah, uh, wiser. Yeah. Yeah, what you, what's, the, what's the best <laughs> lesson you learned in those last three years? Oh, How did man. your life change after this podcast? It went to hell in a handbasket. You know, what can I say? <laughs> so, uh, no, it was fun. It was fun to do that. And Interesting because, you know, I love the long form that you guys are doing because mm. uh, it allows us to hang and, you know, and develop and uncover and unpack. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Good yeah. for you. I think that's the biggest, uh, the biggest benefit of um, this type of conversation is that if, if I look at uh, the, sh the shorter formats is that you, you only take the, the, the default talking points. 
uh, I don't know what the, what the English words we have it. We call it stockpartjes. Everybody has their their little talking points that they use all the time. Mm-hmm. You only get to scratch those little. But I, yeah, the the fun part is if you go a little bit deeper and you look at the ideas behind concepts and uh, how they like you know came to be. Yeah. Like, like the last time I remember from the last conversation, what I found so interesting is that I I, I got a better grasp on where this uh, philosophy came from. Uh, talking about, for example, all the career moves you made, the stuff you encountered, and well, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, well, in, what have I learned in the last two years? I've learned to sort of tolerate the the fact that the body, you know, is probably not going to be immortal. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, the year of living medically, you know, it's kind of like uh, you know number of tests and other things like that. But you know, come on, I'll I'll be seventy four this this year, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, still, still cranking away. Still mm-hmm. works. Do you have Do you have any hopes in uh, longevity, medical research? No, I don't really. I'm not interested in sticking around any longer than uh. just naturally it's going to happen. Really? So, yeah. Is that something that was always um, was was it always like that, or is that something that kind of developed as as you progressed in your age? Ooh, you know, once I started to experience you know, the other levels that we exist on, you know, I know this is just a classroom here mm. and happy to play in the classroom as much as I need to, as much as my karma, you know, sort of dictates me to do that. So, you know, I'm not interested in ending, you know, this existence uh, other than just how it may show up naturally, but I'm certainly not interested in prolonging it you know, yeah. for, for any reason. But but I think that's mainly because there's a firm belief that, like you said, this is a classroom Because there's pro- in your mind, there's going to be an iteration behind this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're a, a firm believer in entropy, uh, then you could be a little bit scared for the end. But if you look at it like you do, we might actually, I don't want to say look forward to it, but at least not with an existential dread or something like that. Oh, sure. You know, I don't have time for existential dread. <laughs> Thank you It's very, very useless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Don't know that that does any good at all. Yeah. So what what have you been up to in the last two years? You know, a lot of of what's happened is because we now have partners that we've you know established around the world, and you know certified master trainers in these different regions to train the getting things done methodology as mm-hmm. well as to coach it, and you know helping those folks get traction mm-hmm. is a lot of what I've been focused on. So you know I was just in South Africa with our new partner there. Uh, I'll be in Prague with our partner there. I'll be in Moscow, you know, in, a, in three or four, five weeks. Um, I'll be in Virginia, you know, so I'm still banging around out there. A lot of which is just to show up and sort of do the press and let people see that these are the people who have our imprimatur. Called yeah. These are the folks that are doing it because there's so many pirates out there of GTD, yeah. you know. So, um, you know, saying, hey, these guys have our, have we, I have their back, you know, mm-hmm. essentially. Because uh, a lot of them are still fairly small in their own consulting or, or training uh, businesses, uh, but they're all very much in love with GTD and and, and want to do that. So helping them uh, do all that—that's a lot of a lot of what I've been doing. Mm. You know, and, and still traveling quite a bit to, yeah. to, to support that. I have a question about that. It maybe taps into the the little topic we were talking about earlier. Like uh, this is a classroom and this iteration. Um, I think if you reflect on what you've done in this life, it's can't deny that there's a legacy. Um, if, if you look around, it has it's gone global. It, it touched a lot of people. How does that feel? It feels great. Yeah, you know, I I I I am graced by all the powers that be to have 
you know, been able to uncover something like that that does no harm, does nothing but in, but improve people's condition. Mm-hmm. Even if you just keep a pen and paper by your bed, you'll sleep better. So, you know, there's nothing, as we say, this is not running with scissors. There's, no, there's nothing dangerous about GDD and about what this is about. And anybody implements any of this, it will give them more sense of control, more stability, more clarity, more focus. And come on, those are golden goodies. Yep. You know, so, yeah, so it's it's great. And, you know, I guess I paid my dues. You know, I it took a lot of years to sort of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so having, I guess, the good graces to be able to do that. And, and boy, you know, the legions of, of testimonials of still coming in for people that this just changed their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For the better. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What, what I especially liked was the quote from the last podcast where you said, well, guys, it's not rocket size, but you can use it to build rockets. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's um, well, it's not, it's simple in the fact that it, it uses elegant principles, but you can use it to accomplish very complex things. Yeah, we use the image of an aperture and a camera that opens and closes based upon the light that, that you have. And mm-hmm. the, the, the getting things done methodology can become as complex as your life is to help simplify it, or it can shrink down to as simple as your life is. So it doesn't, it's not like any kind of a prescription that you have to then follow some sort of a prescribed structure. Mm-hmm. The structure itself is flexible enough to be able to map to whatever your life is. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have nearly as many things on my list as there as I'd had 20 years ago, you know, in terms of stuff to do. Mm-hmm. I still got big projects. But, you know, my system's, you know, you know much simpler because my life is a bit simpler, yeah. you know, than it was. Um, maybe interesting to look at. You said, uh, I paid my dues. So um, the system arrived uh, of, arised from a certain stress and issues you encountered yourself in, in the work you did, um, like band-aids to the problems you encountered, sort of. Um, still looking back at, at the way uh, they were, those moments were necessary to, to learn these lessons. Still, if you look back, what might be things that you, uh, uh, knowing what you know now, might have done differently? Relax more. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking you know, that I would, would be something I, like know, that. I think I did relax, but I felt guilty about relaxing. So, you know, now, mm. you know, like I love to sleep as long as I can sleep. You know, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm, you know, I, I love to take naps. I, and I used to think, well, I was just lazy. Now, given the cognitive science, we know that <laughs> you actually need rest. Yeah. You know, that you need to be spontaneous. You need to daydream. You need to let your brain rest. Now it's like, okay, I'm sophisticated because, you know, yes, I, yeah. I, I just love to sleep, you know. Long. That's the night before I always look at my calendar and see what the hard landscape is for the next day so I can see how long I can sleep mm-hmm. in the morning. Yeah. And I happen to love it. That's great. Well, what was one of the motivations important. to develop uh, uh, the GTD system to to be super productive as a, as a high achiever or a high performer? Not really. I mean, people can use it to do that. It certainly enhances, you know, all of those abilities. Uh, to be able to get more stuff done with less effort. Um, m- mine was just an interest in clear space. You know, I'm a freedom guy. It's like, don't don't fence me in with distractions or worry or anything that 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 is essentially unproductive use of your energy. So I love the f- I love the feeling of freedom. I love the feeling of that sort of clarity and clear space. Mm-hmm. So as I'm, my life got more complex, obviously it was pretty easy to screw up clear space. So that was a lot of my motivation was just uncovering stuff that allowed me to stay clear. Uh-huh. So be in the world, but not of it. So, you know, again, I was not into rice bowl and cave. 
you know, I was in much more into enjoying the good things of life, uh-huh. uh, <clears throat> but not letting myself get too wrapped up in them. Yeah. And so being able to stay free of that and then being able to then pick and choose, you know, to me, that was my motivator. It wasn't like I was in trouble. I mean, you know, I had a mentor of mine that taught me the two, two critical elements of GTD, which is the, the mind sweep, getting stuff out of your head, and then deciding next actions on those things that have your attention. I didn't make that up. Dean did. Uh, you know, my mentor. Uh, but once he walked me through that process, I went, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, how cool is that? Yeah. You know, I, my life, you know, I was fine. I did. I had no idea uh, what clear space would it actually really feel like until I actually had that experience. Mm-hmm. Once I had that experience, I went, whoa, that is just so wicked cool. Mm-hmm. And then I turned around because I just started my own little consulting practice. I turned around and started using those techniques with my clients and it produced exactly the same result mm-hmm. more freedom more clarity more more uh, spontaneity more you know a, more room to focus on meaningful stuff i said wow that's really cool and it really helps with the part you uh, touched earlier the, re- the relaxation part because i see a lot of quality of free time um sort of dissipating because people are there for example if you go to a wellness center and you didn't do a mind sweep what's going to happen once you sit in that sauna yeah. You're going to be mulling over all that stuff that you still need to do, which seriously takes away the relaxation sure. part. And what I liked about it is that um, I, I wrote down a quote from uh, Ready for Anything, is that your power is proportional to your ability to relax. Mm-hmm. So even if your goal is to be as productive as you can be, you need to understand that the rest is going to enable you to do more. And sure. I, I think that's a switch that a lot of people have a hard time making because they feel, like you said, guilty about they can spare time. Well, a tense muscle is a slow one. So I learned this in the martial arts. You know, if you really, really want to focus, you need to be really relaxed. Mm. And so, you know, that uh, the ability to then be able to then uh, manifest a focus to a large degree is dependent upon your ability to relax. Mm. So, you know, if you look at Olympic athletes, you know, right before they go perform, what do you see them doing? Stretching, relaxing, breathing, uh-huh. right? Because that allows then... You get more blood to the brain. You're, mm. you're 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 more functional or whatever. So there is a very direct relationship between relaxation and focus, and and your ability to manifest power. So, you know, if I were sparring with you, I'd love nothing more than to get you upset. Yeah, because then you're going to overreact. Uh, you know, and then I think I'm fake you, and so you know, then I win. So so, the the whole idea of being present, being present doesn't necessarily mean in some sartorial you know. Some sort no, of no, no, relaxing no. state. You can be present running a four-minute mile. You know, so you being present just allows you to be where you are and have your full attention where you want to put it. Yes, and that may look like a lot of different things, not necessarily quiet. Yeah, actually, I had a conversation about um, about that the other day with uh, Mark Tichelaar. He's all about attention spans and focus. And he, something he actually taught me was that. Um, Sometimes what you need to do to focus is to fill your brain. We think we need to be all empty and one in the moment, but no, if you want to concentrate on something, sometimes you have an overcapacity. Your brain mm-hmm. thinks too fast and that's why it gets distracted. And then you either need to up the pace just a little, just to make it uncomfortable, or you fill it with something else that's not distracting. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, wow, you don't need to be quiet in order to focus. That was a eye-opener for me. Yeah, you know, Mark's smart guy. Oh, you know. Oh, yeah. How, yeah. Do, you, how do you fill it with something that's not distracting? I like music. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or visual stimuli. And some people actually need, uh, you know, one of the best practices of, you know, getting things done in GTD is a weekly review. 
So once a week, you need to step back and sort of bring up the rear guard, if mm-hmm. you will, and close the loops and, 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 you know, get clear about stuff that's shown up in the last few days. And <clears throat> some people can do that best in a very busy environment like going to a coffee shop in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. when lots of people, lots of things going on, because that then forces you to focus in a way. Yeah. You know, sometimes the the difficult thing would be to be in a totally quiet space because people complain, it's funny, people complain about 300 emails a day. You should listen to your own mind. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, how many thoughts are banging around in your brain out More there? More than 300, I bet. I'll bet, you know, no <laughs> kidding. So sometimes it is, it actually does help you focus. Uh, if there is a, enough stimulation around in your environment, mm. I think those that has a lot to do with your with people's individual neurology. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, what I find fascinating is, and that goes back to what we started about about the brain, is that um, we learn a lot of new stuff about the brain that actually confirms this. This was actually uh, something you touched on that some of these things that we didn't quite know when we started GTD now actually get confirmed by science. So we're like, aha, we were right all along. Um, this, this little bit about attention is one. What are other things that are that we intuitively intuitively kind of knew but are now actually confirmed? Well, Roy Baumeister is one of the you know top researchers in cognitive science in the U.S. Uh, you know, and sounds he, like a Dutch name though. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Baumeister. Roy Baumeister. Yeah, is well, he Dutch? And he, I don't know. I don't know what is his genes. I don't know what. Sorry for interrupting. I don't know all that. Um, he co-wrote uh, with John Tierney, who was a uh, research uh, journalist with the New York Times. He wrote the the book Willpower, and you know they sort of popularized the the idea of, of decision fatigue. But Roy had done a good bit of research. As a matter of fact, Roy and John, you know, flew out to California where I was still living at the time. Mm-hmm. They said, David, how come you've discovered this thirty five years ago, and we've just sort of uncovered this stuff in our in our, in our research? You know about the the Tsigarnik effect that mm-hmm. that you know when you open loops keep spinning in your brain, uh, you know and and you know how how to sort of manage that. And Baumeister, one of the things he came up with discovering, and they've now proven this, that you don't actually have to finish something, but you need to trust that you've got a reminder in the right place that you'll see at the right time, and then the brain gets to let it go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I learned that a long time ago, just with that externalizing all of these things that have our attention, parking them in the appropriate places. Uh, you know, two guys that did, you know, some major research on this um, uh, from the Free University of Brussels, um, uh they, one of them, his expertise was in insect behavior. And, you know, if you ever had two ants in your kitchen and then 200, mm-hmm. what happened? Well, the, the worker ants programmed to go find food. They find food, they're programmed to take it back to the nest. But when they take that food back to the nest, they're dropping a pheromone trail. Mm-hmm. So then the next worker ant shows up and goes, hmm, hey, pheromones, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so mm-hmm. that happens until the food runs out. Yeah. So basically, the ant has no brain, has no memory, but it does some highly effective things because it's programmed to do those things at the right time. Mm-hmm. So in a way, <laughs> once you've gotten all this stuff out of your head, you've parked all the errands you need to run on an errands list, all the phone calls you need to make on a calls list, all the projects that you need to keep track of. You know, it, it, you loop back around and you see those things. You go, ah, oh, okay, let me go do that. So you were smart at one time that then made a smart decision about stuff so you didn't have to be that smart to do smart stuff. Yeah, and to complete the analogy, so what you're saying is by placing it 
on a list, you're basically like like the two worker ants. Yeah. And then the, the, the brain kind of knows where to go. Loops back around. And then it starts working on it. Yeah. yeah. It looks at it. It, can, it kind of like, oh, let me go finish that. Let me yeah. go do yeah. that. You yeah. actually yeah. love to accomplish. You love to do stuff yeah. like that. But you don't want to have to think too much. You need to have already thought. See, the smart people really realize you're only smart at random moments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very selective, it's, I've noticed. <laughs> right. right. Or inspired. So when you are smart or inspired, get yourself to think and make the decisions you need to make about the things that have your attention. That's cognitive muscle that you need to train and mm -hmm. learn to use. Once you do that, though, you don't want to have to rethink that. You know, it's kind of like putting stuff in front of the door so you don't forget it in the morning, mm -hmm. right? The night before, you were smart enough to realize that whoever's going to walk through the door may barely be conscious, if at all, to what's this? Oh, that's right, i got to take it with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So you made a smart decision, put stuff in the, in the right place so you could be kind of thick and dumb with no memory and do smart stuff. I actually yeah. do that. Duh. I put stuff in front of my front door so that I don't <laughs> yeah. forget it. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> it also helps to, to get started. Like, for example, if I have to do an important project instead of starting on a Monday morning, look into it on Sunday evening mm -hmm. and then s somewhere in your subconscious, you're busy with it. And I already kind of feel that I started the project a little bit. Yeah. And it, it helps, especially it helps in the creative process. That's exactly what I was thinking. Is that the same with, um, with, with the example with the ants? Because if we complete actions, we tend to uh, look at that uh, in the moment that we spend time and energy, like actively time and energy, because now we're going to fix it. But I think there's something that, that, that starts going on before that, the moment you write it down, the, the brain makes it a goal and now it starts analyzing your environment and it's like well we have obstacles we have instruments sure. this is what we want to achieve but that all happens in sort of like the back of your head well it, it, it in a way getting things done is nothing more than getting an inventory of the things that you need to focus on at the right time in the right place mm -hmm. so it's really about focus so, you know, just a little hint scratching on a piece of paper, but it's a list. Mm -hmm. And you look at that list, some part of you focuses on it. Sometimes, many times I write something down on the list and I just will automatically see it, you know, in the world out there simply because, to your point, you know, that just already started programming some sort of subliminal thing that's noticing those patterns. Mm -hmm. So the reticular formation in your brain is just a pattern recognition for you. That's yeah. why, you know, if you start to think about buying a new scooter or car or something like that, you start to see them everywhere. Yeah. Right. And that that's how that happens. If you look around the room for the color red, you know, what happens is that that your unconscious sees it first and then makes you conscious of it. Mm -hmm. So you're unconsciously made conscious of information. And you can program that. You can learn how to do that. I mean it's a, that's something that, that we're doing all the time, really. But by having all this stuff externalized and going through it on some consistent basis and looking at all that, yeah, yeah. a lot of stuff gets put into motion almost automatically simply by by having a tool to focus yourself. Yeah, I don't I don't know if we talked about this in the last podcast, but I think reticular activating system is the explanation for the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know if you noticed, by the way, if you Google your name, there's some a very law of attraction-y book out there by uh, another David Allen. Apparently, I was doing my prep. I was like, this can't be right. <laughs> I can't believe he wrote this, but uh, I found out that wasn't true. But um, still, the law of attraction, um, like this phenomenon that if you think about certain things, it magically sort of pops up in your sure. life. Um, yeah. I think this is the example, because it's not true that something out there is tossing all these scooters or cars on the road to convince you that it's a good idea to buy this particular car. Right. I think it's just the, the mind that's primed in a particular way. Sure. I think that's a particular activating system. Yeah, you know, and I've, I've, you know, I've worked that, that formula consciously since, golly, I ran across 
affirmations and visualization and ideal scene stuff in the early 19, 1980, 1981. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first thing I wrote when I wrote Getting Things Done was the reviews. You, you wrote the reviews? I wrote the reviews first. Because that, and unfortunately, that raised the bar. <laughs> it took me four years to get, to make the book as good as the reviews, mm. you know, said it. But that, that, that was my way of affirming, you know, what, how valuable the book was going to be. Ah, so, you're not talking about the weekly or the daily review. We're talking about the no. reviews from the book. Yeah. You imagined the reviews? I imagine. I, yeah, I imagine I, great success. Yeah. I made up the reviews yes. and, yes. Who, and who wrote them, you know. Yeah. And th they didn't wind up doing the reviews of the book, but it framed it so that, you know, my reticular filter started to go, okay, it's got to be that good. Yeah. yeah. Can, can we talk in that regard a little bit, a bit about goal setting? Because the importance is, well... It's very evident here. I don't think uh, the GTD phenomena would be would have been such a thing if you wouldn't have done that. Is that fair to say? That's probably fair to say. Um, you know, I'm 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 a little hesitant to 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 champion goal setting. Mm. I think goal setting and planning is highly overrated. Ah, that's interesting. Um, I, 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 to a large degree, I think, I think having an image of success, having an image of how you'd like to experience or what you'd like to be having or whatever is, and if you could, and you can call that goals. I mean, you're goal setting all the time to get out of the room. You're see, seeing yourself yeah. out of the room and then you're moving your body to match the picture you've got. So you're, you, you can't stop. So what do you that. mean when you say, uh, I'm not a champion of goal setting? Is it like the big, hairy, audacious goal philosophy? Yeah. 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 Don't tell me the sky's the limit when there are yeah. footsteps on the moon, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, if, if that's real for you, yeah. that is, then sure, you need to. You need to acknowledge those things that you want or want to experience. But mm -hmm. that, that's not, in my experience, that's not necessarily something that you have to do to have a successful life. No. You should not set goals just to set goals. Like when you see yourself being on the stage with 600 people as a dream and you really feel it that's the thing you have to go after yeah 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 but you shouldn't uh, write up a goal to to earn 10 million dollars well, i think then uh, the, the, the definition it. of a goal uh, is, is something that's used a little bit more more uh, freely if you're if you don't want to feel as much stress as you do at your work right now because mm. you work too much overtime then you have a goal mm. namely make sure you spend your time better or uh, restore your work-life balance i think that's a goal as well sure yeah, yeah indeed well, I, I was wondering about, um, are you familiar with the concept Ikigai? This, it's this Japanese concept that when you think about your life's goals, mission, vision, and purpose, that um, in the Western philosophy, it's all about, um, well, it can be anything, but it's uh, usually a little self-centered as well. It's like, it's my life, my goals, the best version of myself. Whereas to Ikigai focuses more on the value you can bring to others. Because like, well, you're very fine example of this yourself, it feels a certain way to be touching people in a positive manner and that motivates you to keep going and stuff like that. But never heard of that concept apparently. Yeah, no, I haven't, haven't heard. I mean, I, I couldn't argue with that. I mean, I, I think that that's great stuff to do. You know, my philosophy has been, and my, my approach has always been, and it's, I think one of the unique things about GTD is that it starts with where you are, not with where you should be. Yeah, it's bottom up. So it's, well, not necessarily bottom up. If where you are is top, then we start at top. In other words, if where you are is focused on your life purpose and your values, we'll start there go, great. All right. You know, yeah. So it, 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 oftentimes people misunderstand because, you know, if I ask most people to write down the 
first 20 things that have their attention, almost nobody writes down fulfilled destiny as human spirit on the planet. You know, they write down (laughs) babysitter, or I need tires on my car, I need to hire a vice president of marketing, or, you know, I got a tooth that's broken. Yeah. (laughs) Because... You know, if your day to day is out of control, don't try to give yourself anything bigger. You'll just create frustration and guilt for not achieving you know, yeah. or moving towards. Those but what happens there. is, if you get your day to day under control, it automatically gives you a grounded sense that allows you to kind of to lift like a balloon into higher spaces in terms of your focus. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, you know, we start with where you are. If where you are is you're focused on your life purpose or what you you know what do you what do you want to do? Is a great you know, what's the final outcome that you're after and what's the next action. So we're still going to bring it down to the reality mm-hmm. of, okay, uh, so what are you going to do about that? But it'll start with wherever you are. Yeah. Starting point is important though. Yeah, I always like the runway analogy. Like uh, people usually, when they do uh, like uh, leadership and uh, goal setting, they're, they're thinking about the tropical island that they want to go to. But mm-hmm. like the runway is full of junk. So your plane actually can't take off. Right. Because yeah, I, I always... Or maybe you took off, but you can't land because you got no landing gear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. And we're all out of parachutes. Yeah. So, so you just mentioned the word decision fatigueness. Mm-hmm. Explain that to me. Well, it takes energy to make decisions. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a cognitive muscle you actually have to work. Mm. And Baumeister and Tierney in, the, in their book, they I don't I don't know I don't remember exactly the the the, the amounts, but there's only a certain amount of the day. A certain number of hours you can actually think yeah. uh, and still function really well. I think it was about four hours. You know, if you sat down and tried to write, you know, a chapter of a book, about four hours is about all you're going to have. Yeah, you know? yeah. So Mark, what your experience, you know, with that would well, be, but yeah. now Mark's kind of scolded me on that one. I had a focus week a couple of weeks back, and I was like, yeah, I was writing eight to twelve hours a day. He's like, wow, you wasted six hours. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, mm. yeah. and he's right. But yeah, I think that's true. Four hours max productivity a day. Yeah, thinking's hard. Yeah. Thinking's hard. Very few people think. Most people react, but they don't think. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking is you. You actually have to think to think. Yeah, what, what I what I mess up myself, I mess myself up with. Um, what, what, the best guy to ask is you. Is you, um, planning and creative blocks to write my book, mm-hmm. getting here in the office, all fresh up, nothing to do, just writing, sitting here, and then the inspiration doesn't come. Yeah, how to how to handle? <laughs> Because <laughs> I, 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 I think it was Picasso that said inspiration is for amateurs. It's called butt in chair, boot computer, hit friggin' key. Yeah. Keys, right? Yeah. Get going. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. wait to be inspired. You Stephen just, Pressfield? Just, yeah. Do the work. Yeah, yeah well, sometimes Pressfield's I sit here for, um, uh, my, my focus span, I think my focus span is about three to four hours when I'm really into it. Mm-hmm. And I just go after it. And I feel when the, when the tank is empty uh, pretty well. But sometimes in that last half hour of those three hours that's the where the the real magic happens that's yeah. when the muse yeah, enters the yeah. muse, and Stephen Pressfield called it that yeah well. you, you ever wrote his, his work uh, yeah, yeah no no I know Stephen yeah he's a good guy and um, um, sometimes I get I can get upset with myself not being productive for four hours having you know written what I want or mm-hmm. and um, yeah it's a I try to figure out whether Am I a good writer? Sometimes I sit here and I think, oh, I hate this. You know, sometimes I write it and I'm really enthusiastic about yeah. it. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm the I'm the same way. I love to have written. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. writing <laughs> writing is a bitch because you have to think. Yeah, you know, you're you're having to make decisions. What word do I use? What do, phrase do I use? How do I do that? And it yeah. matters so much. It does. Yes. It's huge. You know, one of the things that I did. I don't know if this, if you can relate to this at all, but. You know, when I first wrote the first edition of Getting Things Done, they had a copy editor that went through the all the text, mm -hmm. and I thought, "Oh my God, they're gonna are they gonna screw up my language? Are they gonna?" And it, just the opposite, as I say, it was it was almost like they gave it a bath. Yeah, they they took a sentence that I used twenty five words, and they said it in fourteen, and it was actually yeah. the way I would have said it, you know, had I done that. So what I did was I took the whole copy edited version and I retyped the whole book with their copy edits. So it would train me to how to think like a copy editor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really, really helped. Yeah, for, so. for me, a writing course really helped. Like with my first draft, I went to a writer's school here in Amsterdam. Mm. And um, basically I sent it out. They were like, uh, do you have any writing experience? Like, yeah, I wrote blogs and stuff. <laughs> like we wrote our own podcasts. They're like, now do you really have experience in writing? No, I'll send you the first chapter, the first edit of my book. And uh, I got an email back and they're like, well, we can't even allow you to the course because you need to be able to write first. I'm like, what do you mean? I want to <laughs> learn to write. <laughs> and then after, after being 30, uh, they, they would let me enter. And, and, and then I really found out like, wow, yeah. Uh, you know, I was just writing up my thoughts instead of showing the conversations that people were having. That people can have their own imagination. And mm. writing is an art, but I, I love it every week more. The more that I do it, the better I get at it. And yeah. That's it's a skill. It's, it's a powerful tool. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, and, it, and it really fo it, it trains me to uh, to practice this this yeah the focus focus state definitely. Uh, but um, I I do battle my inner critic a lot. Mm. Yeah, it's confronting. But but that that phenomenon that you described that in the last thirty minutes uh, the good stuff happens uh -huh. uh, like that. Do you believe in the muse? Like that concept that that if you sit down and you do the work, eventually the good stuff will come up. Even I, I don't I don't need to externalize it as an entity, but the phenomenon in itself, because I think it's true. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that I think that's true. But I, I you know, I, I don't know that you know when the muse is going to strike. Mm. No, you it don't. May, but may, you feel it, when, it, when it's there. It may strike the minute you sit down and start writing. Yeah, you know, it, it it could be there. So what I feel yeah. that is is a. Uh, is a, a progress bar completing before the good ideas come first you need to wrestle with it you need to let it sink down then you need to activate it again and the more you engage with it a progress bar just keeps filling up and sure. then all of a sudden it's like at 100 and then ding, this is the idea this is what i've been looking for mm -hmm. and i think that is what the muse is the, the completion of that particular process which you can have on all several ideas and sometimes the progress bar uh, jumps to 100 right in the morning because you did some thinking during the night in your subconscious and then yeah. it just starts flowing out. Well, they so do know now that, you know, there've been a number of studies, you know, that show that, that sleeping on things, you know, is, is very important to get, to come up with an innovative solutions to stuff, yeah. but you have to have the intention to solve it. Yeah. Oh, so you, you actually need to say, I need the answer to this thing. So you need to have an intention for a solution or for an idea or for whatever, and then sleep on it. Because then apparently sleeping allows you to then bypass your your conscious conditioning, and it allows you to make connections that you wouldn't make otherwise. Yeah. So they they know that now, and I think uh, Theo Componoli's book Brain Chains, you know mm -hmm. Theo's book work, as well as Baumeister. I, I I can't remember which one of them, you know, uh, uh, quoted those studies, uh, but very interesting. 
that they have actually found that you, you come up with better solutions if you sleep on it. Mm-hmm. But you have to program, essentially, you know, the, yeah. with, with your intention that you want to have the solution. But that la- last detail was something that, that's new. I didn't know that. I knew that you could probably solve problems in your unconscious when you slept, but I didn't know you need to have the attention. But then again, the prime example that I know and use is like from programming. Yeah. Like if you, I used to be an IT guy and you, you're programming something and it doesn't work and ah, frustrated you go to bed and then the next morning it's so clear. It's right over there, deadline, right. you forgot right. something. But yeah, but then you have the intention right before you go to bed because it was the last thing you were doing. Yeah. yeah Carl Newport I wrote a book, Deep Work. Have you read it as well? It's taken longer. Uh, he's basically he's describing to take. I read uh, about it. I didn't read the book. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's definitely, uh, I like it a lot to, to, to keep focus, keep away from distractions. So if you have a problem, you just sit in a room, stare at the blank wall and just think about the problem for an hour. If you're in that car, don't listen to music, but think about your problem. And he's all about uh, deep work blocks um, and getting into this creative state more, more, yeah, more easily. But there's a big part of it, uh, preparing it. And just yeah. overthinking it. And I used to be just sitting at my laptop and just, okay, now I'm going to write. And, you know, now just I take, I take a piece of paper and just start planning it. And, yeah, it's more of a You should have done that before that. Yeah, well, I, f- I think it's my way of writing a book. And I think it's f- different for everyone. I mean, I mean, we've had people in podcast here who write bestsellers within two weeks. They're just going on holiday for two weeks. They type a book and they... they they go home. They, they yeah. go home. <laughs> I'm like, what do you have that I don't have? They're different. You know? Yeah. So, um, is that does that does that have to do with different neurology, brain? I don't know. Yeah. Mm, no, but I think it's true that if you want true, um, like that deep work, it's basically about flow states, I guess, to get to get into a state of flow, which is like a special mind state. Mm-hmm. It's something you can measure, mm. and, and it really helps. Um, the way I learned it is that the, the moment you want to go into that deep work state, you want to assemble and you don't want to be busy. Like, for example, if you want to make a report and you still have to ask the numbers from the sales guys, you can't get into flow because not all the perquisites are there. Yeah. And it's very important to make sure you have these in advance. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you can actually, if you have to go to your email inbox to find something you need for the project you're working on and you want to concentrate on, mm. sure, you're screwed. Well, it's the, it's the French chef's mise en place. You know, before you... St- before you start, you have everything that you're going to need. Yeah. So you have, you know, my experience is you're most creative when you have the freedom to make a mess. But if you're in a mess, you can't make one. So, oh. so you need to clean house so that you have the freedom to make a mess. Mm-hmm. That means you need to have a blank sheet in front of you to have yeah. to, the freedom to write a crappy first draft. You know, because editing is really where the art is. So giving yourself permission to write a really bad first draft and then go back and yeah. edit, from my experience, that's and, and that's why word processors were such were such a game changer because, you know, your your mind likes to have ideas then later on figure out what to do with them. Yeah. So the freedom to just start writing, and then come back and then edit. Thank yeah. God for Microsoft Word. You know? That's so interesting you said that because um, now I completely get why word process more thing. When I was a kid, my dad was enthused about Word 2.1. He's like, this is amazing. <laughs> I was like, when do we get to play games? I don't get it. Why is this so? But I never realized because he was, he was a cop. And you yeah. had to make a lot of reports. But they used to do that on typewriters. I yeah. remember that. They had typewriters. Of, I, I get to go to the police uh, station every now and then, get to sit in the jail, play yeah. with the computers they had back then. But they did typewriting. And you can't add it in that way. I never realized Man, you that. You know, you guys aren't old enough to remember erase tape. 
but I guarantee you that and, uh, you have little space. tape. Yeah. You make oh, a yeah. mistake. You have to then put the tape in and hit that the key that you, that was the wrong key. Uh, so that no, then it no, erases it. No. Oh, well, I do remember two packs, which yeah. was like cover over stick. Yeah. But yeah, believe me, you know that before you have an idea, damn well better be a good one. And it's like that's yeah. so constipating for your thinking process. Wow. You know, oh, it's awful. Still, there were monks copying the Bible by hand. <laughs> by hand, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or actually writing books by hand. It makes yeah. me realize how impatient we have become. E because it's, yeah. I, I can't imagine doing uh, writing a book like I do now if I had to go about it that way. Like, not too much. Yeah, but it, it, will, it will be the only option. It will be the only option. You have. You can compare it now with what you have, what you've experienced. So if that's true, if, that's true. The world, if you know this is the, is a yeah. reality as well, and you have to go back to typewriters. You yeah. But I mean, imagine <laughs> imagine when they got the first typewriter, they were like, oh shit, yeah. this is convenient. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Even if you type it wrong, you can put the sticker thing on it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's different. It's true. It's true. Hmm. Yeah. Well, well talking about that, uh, like uh, the impact uh, of technology, um, one of the things that um, getting things done has uh, managed to do is uh, spawn a lot of apps that support it. Um, how do you feel about um, getting things done and the carrier of the system? Because I used to be a digital guy. I love these apps. I think I tried them all until a couple of years back, but then I switched back to paper because I think this works way better for me. It, it fits my, uh, my brain better. But do you have a, a preference in that? So where are the way you, you yeah. implement it for me personally i like i love the digital world because of the, how many connections you can make and how many things you can tie together you know and cut and paste and and link and so forth so i, I i'm kind of an end user nerd mm -hmm. you know if, if it's small black and high tech and expensive i want it later on later on i'll figure out if it actually does anything you know but that you know i don't know how, how many things i buy my buy to use ratio is probably 10 to 1 you know uh -huh. over the last <laughs> 30 years or so uh i i capture low tech you know because pen and paper is a whole lot easier no wi-fi no batteries required mm. very much easier to do that so i like um just capturing you know, random ideas or whatever. I'm, you know, I still have my little note taker wallet with me in my pocket. Mm -hmm. you know, it's been there for 35 years, you know, and it's easier. That's much easier to do because that's not ultimately the system. It's, it's a systematic way to grab the stuff to begin with, but then I'll throw away probably 80% of my notes. Mm -hmm. I just don't know which 80% those are to begin with. Cause I think they're all brilliant, mm -hmm. you know, until the next morning, I, you know, come on, David, too much wine, you know, what, what, what a stupid thought, you know, come on. <laughs> but I don't miss any, so I don't miss anything. So to me, and, and, you know, I also have really nice journals and nice fountain pens, which I, you know, love to do every once in a while. I'll get, mm -hmm. kind of get into journal mode yeah. and, you know, it's another, it's a more subtle way to sort of clear your head yeah. you know, with that stuff. And I, that, that I love handwriting with that. So how do you, how do you journal then? You journal just like tasks or you journal like experiences, feelings or? Yeah, just whatever. Yeah. You know, whatever's up. It's yeah. kind of a brain dump, <laughs> kind of like whatever's going on. Um, I'm not waiting to get inspired to journal. I just mm. start writing. I just start even just describing what I'm seeing. The room is warm. There are lights on. There's people talking, whatever. All I have to do is get started and the flow, then it'll start to flow. Ah, and, I thought you meant by journaling that you actually make, a, uh, for example, a I list and, and write down what's um, uh, not only the actions, but the stuff that actually happened. Because I see a lot of people working with action lists and they still have the phenomenon that they drive home and it's like, 
well, yeah. I don't know what I did today. I'm yeah. like, why, why don't you write down every disruption you ever had that day? And then you start to journal your day and then you can make decisions. But that's yeah. something else. This is something else. Uh, mostly my journaling is more just a meditative exercise. Uh, I, I'm not capturing reminders or to-dos or whatever. That goes into my system. What's Other the benefit for you to do this? Mm. Just seems to, you know, it's kind of like uh, clearing cobwebs, you know, out of, out, of, out of my brain and out of my psyche. Sort of like mental stretching. Yeah. 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 Exactly that. Hmm. And I don't do it all the time. You know, I go through periods where I haven't journaled, you know, for months. And then I'll go through, you know, sort of clean out my fountain pens and, you know, crank them up again. And, you know, and I'll spend two or three weeks, you know, and, and, and I'll be journaling. Oftentimes, that's how I'll start my meditation is by journaling because that just ten, tends to clear the deck and allows me to, you know, sort of focus more on the, in, on the, yeah. inner, on the inner world. And, you know, but, and so, but my, my GTD system, I still have lists and I, that's in the digital form mm. because, you know, I've got a great program that uh, my CTO for 15 years designed that, that sits on top of notes, uh, IBM notes. And that's, that does something that, you know, no matter all those other apps out there, uh, can't do what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I write you an email, I've got a little radio button that goes waiting for it, automatically throws it on my waiting for list, automatically puts your name on it, automatically mm. date stamps it. You can't, you, you, there's nothing out there that does that. You, it's not, wouldn't be hard to design that, but. Why don't you release that yourself? You know, I've tried twice uh, in my, you know, career to uh, work on whether or not we could build a real GTD app. Uh-huh. Um, they're all just list managers, frankly. Yeah. But, um and, and neither one of them worked. They were both quite instructive in terms of what we learned about that. But uh, this is the first iteration was back in the mid '90s, kind of in the high tech, you know, glory days of San Francisco. And mm. you know, uh, and we built a, an app. Uh, it was called Actioneer, uh, and it was very cool. But unfortunately, the, the Microsoft Outlook started to take win the the desktop and Palm the Palm Pilot showed up. And so there were a lot of other tools that were showing up out there. And there wasn't, you know, the, the amount of programming that it would take. If I said, you know, uh, <clears throat> Michelle, I need to call Michelle by Friday. Right? Where yeah. would you what would you do with that? I need to call them by Friday. By Friday. So it would go on my calls list with a due date, and it would also show up on the calendar on Friday. Call, hey, call Michelle yet, dude? Question mark. You know. Yeah. So, but the, just the programming that would have taken to to do that in a calendar, just would take would have taken much <laughs> many more, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of programming time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we didn't have back then. So there was a lot of the sophistication that if you were really going to do a true system, the system would have to include calendar, email, everything else, as opposed to yeah. right now, it's still pretty labor intensive for all of us. To, mm-hmm. you, you gotta, you gotta cut and paste Let me, I'm using Evernote for that and I'm using email for yeah, this yeah, and yeah. I've got my calendar over here and you're still having to figure out how to Very integrate all that yeah. as opposed to build a uh, dashboard that can pull all that data together and, and curate it for you. And, and the more most recent attempt, how did that yeah, end? Yeah, uh, that about three years. I worked with Charles Simonia's team, uh, Intentional Software. Charles built Word and Excel and Microsoft Office. I mean, these uh-huh. are smart guys. Yeah, and uh, we spent about three years taking a look at the methodology that he had come up with, uh, which was pretty sophisticated. But it included. It really was about taking a whole data set uh, in one database 
and then letting you then program how you wanted to see and manipulate that data. So yeah. you could sort of bypass programmers mm -hmm. and let you see it. So they, they you know, developed quite a bit of, of a technology around that. And they thought, we thought, well, maybe that, that could be the, the, the source or the seat of uh, perhaps a really GTD, you know. Uh, yeah. And it, the technology just wasn't there, nor the market. Sounds like uh, something that was only for power users if you approach it that way. Yeah, and, and it, see, it needed to be bidirectional. You're not going to give up Dropbox or Evernote or uh, Outlook or any of those yeah. things. You, no, you, no, no, no. What, what you're going to do is you wanted something that would integrate that data from it, yeah. but it needs to be bidirectional. You know, so you pull it up the raw data out of Evernote. You need to be able to then, if you change it, then on your dashboard, it needs to be able to go back into that program. Yep. Yep. And the legal issues and, <laughs> and the tech issues and all and the and the financial issues of just trying to make that. And that's just one app. I can imagine, you know, all the the plethora of stuff out there that everybody. And got. how how many yeah. how many years ago was this last attempt? Because it lasted uh, three years, but it, it was pretty much um, we ended that right about when I moved to Amsterdam. So that was that's like five years ago. Mm. So there was a three years before that. Yeah, and yeah, we, and very smart people, man. Uh, you know, Branch Hendrick, who was the uh, <coughs> he was the sort of project lead on their end that worked very closely with me. And Branch, he he had been head of robotics strategy for Microsoft. Yeah, this guy was not dumb, and he spent six months looking at every single app out there, and you know, and unpacking it to see what what was missing, you know, and you know, he he did an amazing amount of research. So anyway, so it was a big research project. Yeah, so I good, get it. Good to know. I mean, ultimately, guys, you know, you want to be able to walk into the room and say David Allen, and suddenly I show up in a hologram. And then anything that you've ever see, seen or thought about me, you could see that attached to it. You could then walk over and and say, "Oh, here's what it is, and here's what we want to talk about." And you know, how many things could we add value to right now if you just put it in front of your face? Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you had all of those things, see where technology is going is decision support. Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you what what should you look at before you talk to me or before your next podcast? You know, what do you need to see? What are the potentially relevant things? You know, that, when that should might, you do it? Yeah, that might make might make a difference that would add value to it. Mm. So, you know, before you go home on the weekend or whatever, what do I want to see about my daughter or my niece's birthday coming up? Where you know, come on, guys, <laughs> how much data is is out there that then if you put the right stuff in front of your face at the right time, you could add value to that. Yeah, right. So that to me is where the future, the digital future is is, is gonna go. Mm. It would be fascinating to, to read uh, the findings of that report, the, the analysis of the apps. Because I've thought about what, what would uh, the, the perfect time management getting things done app look like as well. Mm -hmm. um, the main thing uh, that used to be a problem is actually quite manageable now. Uh, and that's the interfaces, because you're right. I'm not going to leave Dropbox. I'm not going to leave Gmail. I'm, I'm not going to do that. But if we manage to interface with that, with a layer above that, that kind of pulls out and inputs all these things, I think if you focus on uh, like the three, four biggest players, then you got 80% of the world population. And if you manage those guys as sort of an interface, uh, then you can actually manage to, to like sort of in that uh, top layer, enforce the methodology you shouldn't try to make an app that does all these things that all these specialized apps do you should find a way to tie them all together sure and with, a, with a special <laughs> yeah so, yeah. There, so, so, I was very so how many attorneys are you going to have to have to get those apis all set up you know come on yeah well um, actually i don't know if that would be such a problem because i think a lot of these companies understand that they uh are like dropbox 
they understand they're a part of a bigger process and that people use all kinds of apps to interface with them to do whatever they want to do better. Like, for example, a great task manager that does this excellently is Asana. Has interfaces with, like, every uh, calendar app imaginable. They focus on integration. So maybe that, um, five years ago, that used to be an issue. Nowadays, uh, software developers get a little more and they have these default ports on their software that allows you to talk to them. But then again, I've not looked into this, and I think you have. So it might be more complicated than no, that. <laughs> I, I, no, you, you, you may be ahead of me. I, I just kind of gave it up, yeah. you know, because uh, it was nobody was actually coming up with anything other than the list managers. Uh-huh. And nobody had gone beyond that. And there are a lot of good list managers out there, a lot of different bells and whistles in them. Do you remember what the main thing uh, was that was missing from that report? Um. Well, the main thing was the integration, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, how many different things? I need a date, I need time, I need location, I need uh, names, I need, you know, and so all the different data points, you know, in object-oriented thinking. Yeah. You know, all the different things that you would need to manage in some way to be able to have all of that in in one integrated database. Yeah. You know, that was that was the challenge. You could do it. You know, but you'd have to, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So you still need to have mm-hmm. all the inputs, you know, of all that data, you know, in there. Yeah. And also, you know, you 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 were gonna need to tie it to your calendar and tie it to email and tie it to all your communications, right? And that's just that's <laughs> not easy. <laughs> that's, no, a, that's a lot of stuff to do, you know, to try to do that. And you know, and frankly, look, most people are still keeping crap in their head. So why do they think they need to buy something like that? Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, again, I'm a little, I'm, you know, 73. I'm, so I'm a little old and cranky right now. It's like, you know, come on. <laughs> you know, yeah, you get know. started with the basics first, then start. Well, I think that's, uh, yeah. that's a tendency that people have. I mean, um, uh, people, um, I've seen some great implementations of working with systems, but I've seen some very over-designed ones as well. Uh, and I think that's uh, uh, that's definitely a risk if you start working with this. Which actually brings me to a, a fun quote we can talk about. You said something in uh, Ready for Anything. The effectiveness of your system is inversely proportional to your awareness of it. Remember that? Oh, that's interesting. Did I say that? Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I find it I found it very interesting yeah. because I think it's true. Well, you don't want to be thinking about your system. You want to be using it. It's not a goal in itself. Yeah, not a goal in itself. And too structured is, too control is out of control. Mm-hmm. If you're not open and flexible enough to be able to then navigate, you know, quickly and fast and recalibrate fast, mm-hmm. you know, then, then, you know, you're going to be over control. And, and back to your point, a lot of software is overstructured. You know, it's just, and that's, you know, sorry, I call it Naziware. You know, you don't. Naziware. You know, you don't, you, you, you. It has to be loose and flexible enough to be able to map to the speed that you're moving yeah, and, the, should, and the volume should, that you're working with. It should support your workflow, not dictate it. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah I indeed. get it. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. That's always hard with software, though, to do that, especially because it's the prime process that everybody everybody uses this system to get all their other shit done. So yeah. they, ha- they do it in a very, very particular way, and it's hard to change that. So, Sure. Yeah. I think that's a big... Uh, um, I have a question about that. Can you make everybody use the system? No. 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 No, you gave that up. No, I gave that up a long time uh, then ago. I should yeah. as well. Yeah. See, GTD is for anybody, but not for everybody. You have to, you know, interestingly, over all these years, the people who wind up taking to it are the people who need it the least. 
they're already the most productive systematic people that you'll ever meet. They just want to increase it. They just want to increase it. The big presenting issue is room. Most people are, most people have over, most people have created out beyond their own systems ability to keep up with it. So it's the most productive people that are actually feeling most overwhelmed and, mm-hmm. out of, and out of control. Yeah. They've just overcreated and their system hasn't kept up with that or they haven't. So they're the ones that are probably hungriest, you know, for get, getting things done mm-hmm. because it instantly gives them more room, gives them more space. Mm-hmm. You know, I coached a guy, you know, a couple of years ago for a whole year. And, you know, Brad is one of the most, by anybody's standards, one of the most productive people you'd ever meet, you know, um, got his own jet and he built Groupon and, you know, sold it. And, and, you know, his, his new startup uptake, you know, just two years old, had a $2 billion market cap profitable from day one. He's on four boards. He teaches entrepreneurialism at the university of Chicago. This guy is by anybody's standards, you would be one of the most productive people you've ever met. And he is probably one of the most productive people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Sharpest, bright, quick, fast. But his presenting issue to me was he said, David, I'm only 47. I feel like I'm just getting traction, but I got no more room. Mm-hmm. He wakes up with million dollar ideas. He's just got no place to put them and nobody to give them to. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we spent a year just being able to structure it better, so he had more room and to be able to take advantage of his creativity. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you look at a guy like like that, um, what kind of simple techniques do you teach him that immediately increase that capacity? Well, oh, come on, it's just the basic stuff. Write it down. Get the stuff out of your head. You know, how is a guy like that not already doing that? He's already doing it to some degree, but not Mm. completely. Very few people really, really do it completely. There's a huge difference, but 90, 95%, the difference between 95% out of their head. See, the problem is if you have 95% of this out of your head, you don't know, you don't know how much there is because you don't know what's left in the 5%. Mm -hmm. The difference between 95% and 100% is a light year. Once you get it all, <laughs> it's a whole different game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so getting to 100%, uh, a full uh, externalizing of everything you hold in your brain, mm-hmm. is sort of like the holy grail. Um, this is probably a hard question to answer, but how do you know if you're at 100%? Does that, do you actually feel that? It's not like, like there's nothing anymore. There's nothing else. Yeah. There's nothing, and, and if something pops in, you just you grab it then. Yeah, so yeah. it just it becomes just your your just your style. I mean, that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't think about it. I just do it, you know, because it's and I, it's still a little subtle. Sometimes I catch myself go, David, come on, you know, you've thought that you needed that light bulb three times. You teach this shit. Come on, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you just write that down somewhere? You know, put it in the right place. So yeah, so I still have to catch myself you know, with that stuff, because it's so seductive. When you're thinking of it, it seems so obvious, you're sure you'll never forget it. And then yeah. two minutes later, you're the next obvious thing, you're sure you won't forget, you forgot you forgot the first thing. Maybe maybe a little bit of a mean question, but does the missus ever uh, use it against you? Like, uh, David, come on, man, I you teach people how to do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why wrote, is this not fixed yet? Ni- I think you wrote a nice book about it. Uh, but <laughs> she, well, she and I will grab each other's notebook because she carries one too many times and I'll write down something for her. I yeah. said, Catherine, you want me to write that down? She said, yeah, that'd be great, David. So I'll write it down, throw a little piece of paper in her end basket or she'll do the same, th- same for me. So yeah, part of our lifestyle. Yep. Yeah, well, I think it's great if you... Uh, if you have similar philosophies on this, I mean, imagine uh, how it would be like if you wouldn't have any of this. That could be a big you know, frustration. Well, it's funny. You know, I've, I got a couple of staff people who's, who the, their life partner doesn't do any of this, mm. and they just tolerate. They just they just have to manage around it. 
you know. Yeah. So it becomes stuff. a desired outcome in itself. Yeah. Yeah. But Catherine, you know, Catherine took a seminar of mine 35 years ago. And she's been doing this, you know, ever since. People often ask, you know, what's her system? I go, beats me. I have no idea. Never looked in her system. I just know where her in basket is. She knows where mine is. So that's all we need to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what she does. I know she uses OmniFocus, but I don't know. I've never looked at her list. I've never seen what she does. Mm -hmm. But she does this. Interesting. Um, the both of you are uh, uh, currently uh, living in Holland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I find it very. Uh, by the way, I, I want to touch on that a little. Yeah, we have this thing where we ask every guest to to send a message to our king, and it's not a big secret. But I love the, what you said about Holland, and I think it bears repeating for our fellow Dutchies. We shouldn't hear this every every <laughs> once uh, once and again. Well, well, all you guys didn't need to do is leave the Netherlands for about two years and then yeah. come back. Yeah, you know, come on, you know, you know, people that have left and came back. I had no idea what silver spoon was. I was born with. Yeah, you know things work here. They, they do. really do. Yeah, you know, relatively speaking, there's still all the issues you know that any country's got. But you know, as I say, it's it's such an island right now of global thinking and open thinking. At least you know, at least the Republic of Amsterdam. Yeah. The Republic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I know that's kind of like the Republic of San Francisco, I and mean, it's a very very similar place. Same size, by the way. But uh, I, I, what's noticeable about, about that is that only uh, Amsterdam actually feels like that. So if you're in Amsterdam, you feel like you're in the Republic of Amsterdam and everybody else, you're just the capital. But uh, right. as someone that's not from the capital, yes, I get that sense. Right. No, but we, we, we love it. Just quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, again, things work. And yeah. it's much more the center of my world now that, now that, you know, we're doing so much work globally, you know, supporting all of our partners around the world. I mean, come on! I'm only three hours from Moscow. I'm, you know, I was yeah, I was eleven hours to 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 Cape Town, but yeah. same time zone. So yeah. you know, so no jet lag. You know, no, yeah. no, that that was cool. Yeah. So so and come on, Schiphol is such a great airport. And you know, guys, where I live, I walk out my door and I check in at KLM in 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because I'm I'm eight minute walk from Zaud Station. Yeah. So I you know all I have to do is hop on the and 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 it works. Yeah. And, you know, come on, it's like, now it's a foodie capital of the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Catherine yeah. and I love good food and wine, so, you know, couldn't be better. Yeah, uh, it's interesting how you forget these things. and Because I, I noticed you saying it, and it's like, oh. Because if we think about America or Canada, we're like, wow, that's just like Holland. I mean, you got everything over there that we got over here. Maybe it's even better. But um, we had another guest here who was from Canada, Mr. Jordan Peterson. And he basically said the same. We actually got into it in the podcast. He's like... In, in countries like Holland, like uh, in, in the West and, and even Germany, uh, you guys don't understand how much uh, trust there is. And he, he used the example of eBay. Like you can just, in the West, you can just give someone money and you can assume reasonably that he will send you the package that you actually paid him for. And that's not like that around the world. And you should really appreciate that because it's easy if it's right in front of your nose to ignore it. But I find it very interesting to hear you say the same thing. It's like, yeah, we keep forgetting yeah. that. And you guys, you know, come on, at least from my limited experience, but I've been here five years now, uh, but uh, you know, you, you take it easy in a way. We do. You do. You know, I, I, on the weekends, come on, you barely, if I go out on a Saturday or Sunday morning, there's nobody, nobody's doing anything. Everybody's sure. resting. Everybody's reading a paper. Everybody's whatever. Or you see, you know, parents on the, with their three yeah. kids on their bike, you know, mm -hmm. just going somewhere. And, and, you know, you're so, uh, externally focused. And again, there's no bad weather. They're just bad clothes. So, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like that. That, yeah. that Dutch weather is, 
I, I love it. It's uh, frankly, it's it's uh, interesting. When I went to uh, Florida last year, um, just talking to Uber drivers, like, "Hey, what are you doing here? How is Uber going for you?" Asked oh, my second job, and you know they have two or three jobs going on, and and then I asked them why. You know, well, just to pay uh, pay the pay the rent, pay your uh, your groceries and stuff, and and then uh, yeah, I came more to my to my mind that America is so expensive to live. Um, just f- and then, not for the rich, rich, I guess, because it doesn't really matter because they're rich. But mm-hmm. f- for the average person, oh man, it's a hard, uh, it's tough, it's tough, tough to live there, yeah. it's tough to get around and and get that relaxation in. Yeah, and it's also true, you know. There's good and bad news about you know. I still love America. I mean, it was certainly a fabulous place to grow up, and yeah, you know, I can't I can't fault uh, any of that. Um, it, it there's a there's something about, and I don't know. Maybe you can, maybe you can frame this, say it better than I can. But there's something about, um, you know, the Dutch that that we've talked to, and especially, you know, I've talked to a lot of people in the startup world out there, and they say like, America is where you, you know, Silicon Valley is where you're going to make a gazillion dollars. But the aspirational aspect of it, it's almost like the Dutch are okay to not have that kind of aspirations, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of good and bad news. It's like, you know. The, you're fine, you know. Your lifestyle, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Your lifestyle is fine, you know. You're you're not you're not trying to beat everybody's game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like uh, we were we were practicing the Dutch right before the the podcast in Holland. What you're describing is the phenomenon. Do maar normaal, dan doe je al gek genoeg. So just be normal. You're crazy enough as it is. And that's that's something. <laughs> the, the moment right. you stick out above the the cornfield, it's like back down. Right. Yeah, I right. think maybe that's it. Well, I don't think we have the. Um, uh, the high achieve or the success culture that that America has, and uh, I, when I go to a congress in America with with entrepreneurs, it's all about making millions and uh, you know selling uh, two hundred thousand dollar pro- yeah, programs, but, blah, blah blah. But maybe that's also because of um, what that uh, what that particular future promises uh, probably tackles something that they experience now. Like for example, if you've experienced poverty, yeah, of course you're going to grind for it. You want to be a millionaire, yeah, but yeah, yeah. we yeah. got it good. So maybe yeah. we're like, well, I got my food. I got my yeah. internet. Well, I got, why, why bother? Yeah. I think a lot of the freedom that is presented uh, on these congresses or, or seminars is, is presented by, by, you know, money gives you freedom. And I do believe that with less money, you can experience more freedom here in the Netherlands. Yeah. With less money, you can experience more freedom. Yeah, yeah. and nobody needs to go hungry in Holland. Yeah. I was actually looking at a movie from, uh, uh, from uh, I forgot his name, but he was training his team in sales and he's talking about, like, if you want to make a million, uh, go for 10 million. And, and he's explaining this to his team and he's like, how many groceries do you do in a week? Like $900, $900 in uh, Walmart or like the whole uh, Whole Foods? It's just like the organic shop. Mm-hmm. Like $900 a week. It's like, how do you do groceries for $900 a week? It's like, yeah, like you can buy a, a stock for two months, <laughs> and then, you know. So it has different level of uh, of expenses, I guess. Yeah, and in Holland, it's even worse if you look at, for example, well, you decided to live in the expensive part of uh, Holland. If you go to where I'm from, just two hours drive to the east, uh, houses cost significantly less. I mean, I don't know what your rent is, but you can probably buy a palace uh, over in the east. So th- then yeah. there's that thing as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, that's probably going to happen pretty much anywhere. But come on, guys. One of the biggest sources of bankruptcy in the United States is healthcare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't have that issue here. No. Yeah. Like, thank you. You know, wow. You know what? Catherine and I, just our 
our health insurance that we got through our company in California, we were paying $25,000, $30,000 a year for that and no better coverage than we have here. And we're here, we're paying 3,000 euros, yeah. you know, for that. And great healthcare. And as far as my experience in, you, know, you guys all complain about everything all the time. So we do, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I want to zoom in on this a little. We got it good. We need to hear this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, I, uh, you know, the, uh, every doctor that I've dealt with and every healthcare, uh, you know, place that I've gone and I've had, you know, quite a number of sort of minor things, you know, that I've been dealing with here. Yeah. And they're just all so elegant and they're not, they're not egotistical. They're not, you know, pretending they are God, you know, and they're just regular folks, mm -hmm. you know, and really, really lovely and, and, and very gracious, you know, and I haven't, haven't had to wait very much, you know, for, mm -hmm. for, for all of that. So boy, you know, again, leave the Netherlands and then come back. Yeah. Count your <laughs> blessings. <laughs> really? Have you, have you had many medical things in the last few years? Mm, not, not too many. You know, a little minor surgery on my hand, and I had cataract surgery. Right, so you're in, you're in good health. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm still walking around. Yeah, still walking yeah. around. But um, uh, already, uh, but you are thinking about uh, passing on the torch. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like well, the you know, I I sort of approached all of this in my career as and getting things done is just high anticipation, but no expectation. People want it, that's great. And I want to get it to people that, that might be interested in it, but I'm not going to beat anybody up or bang them on their head. <laughs> and I always keep thinking, well, maybe everybody who's ever going to be interested in GTD has now got it. Mm -hmm. And they'll, they'll stop. But I'm still doing two or three podcasts a week mm -hmm. you know, after 18 years. You know, still, the world still seems to be you know, banging on the door Craving know, about, for about this stuff. So, so it's going. And now given that we've got really, really good master trainers and we've had very rigorous program to certify the master trainers, you know, around, we've got about probably 25 or 30 master trainers now. Mm -hmm. And they they were trained in English, but then they are then certified to then certify trainers within their own language and their own regions. Mm -hmm. And a good dozen of those, you know, if I got run over by a bus tonight, um, or got hit by any one of those bikes and empty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know the, the, they'll they'll carry the torch. Mm -hmm. This is still this is the trains left the station essentially in terms of getting things done is out there now, and you know the book is still the new edition is still bestseller. Yeah, still, still selling because it's evergreen. It really is evergreen stuff. I mean, it, you're going to need. When we fly to Jupiter in 2090, you're still going to need an end basket. You're still going to have to decide next actions yeah. on yeah, yeah, yeah. have your attention. You, you, you know, you're not going to, this is not going to go away in terms of the principles themselves. The only way this can go away is if we can start really augmenting our brains. So if I can uh, sort of put a chip in there that like writes it way <laughs> automatically, then maybe. But yeah, maybe. On the other hand, we're going to stay humans. Um, and like you said, um, there seems to be an ever-growing, um, it doesn't stop, the demand is still there. But that yeah. maybe has to do something with the generations behind us as well. Yeah. I well, think they even face these problems a bit more. Probably. And and I, actually, we just counted up. Uh, uh, about 3,000 people a month are going through GTD trainings mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at it least. Keeps growing. Yeah. yeah. Keeps good. You know, it's just steady, steady state, you know. Can we look a, a little at, um, like I said, the, the, the generation born? I got nephews. They're en they're entering their teens now. One of them is going to the uh, higher level education soon. So uh, the overwhelm is going to start pretty soon. His life is going to be more than just computer games. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm already starting to teach him little things. 
like like oh, it could be good if you do this like um and there's a, a teens edition for getting things done right what are the big differences uh, that we uh, the way we approach getting things done towards teens uh, as compared to for example professionals or adults none none it's the same book same book exactly same book with just cartoons in there makes it, right. makes it <laughs> makes it a little bit easier to play and and you know we we created uh uh Cortland and Iggy <coughs> basically to stand mm -hmm. for you know the frontal cortex and the and the amygdala you know which are the the things that kids Iggy. are having to deal with Iggy and Cortland mm -hmm. right and Cortland is the smart guy that's going to that's conscious and focused and and Iggy's the scatterbrained and you know distracted and playing games and you know the other part so yeah. you know just characterizing you know uh, some of those things that we've seen we've <laughs> had a lot of adults say wow i like the teen book myself so yeah it was easier for them to start and see it because getting things done is i didn't write it as a training tool i wrote it as a manual mm -hmm. so it's a lot of people it's daunting they look at that and they go oh my god there's, there's so mm -hmm. much yeah, yeah, so yeah much I, to do mm -hmm. you know there's so much in there because i just i didn't hold back i put everything in my 30 years of i just put it all in there yeah. you know i uh, didn't i didn't want it because it's a holistic model i didn't want to short sheet it um, you know uh, in any way I'm sorry about this, but I threw your book through the room once <laughs> and it was on an iPad. <laughs> and that was the part when I was, uh, when you were telling me, okay, you need to gather everything. I was like, everything? Yes, everything. You need to go over all your files, all your emails, everything in your house. I was like, no way, man, this is gonna take way too long. I'm not gonna do this. I was yeah. actually upset. Then I threw the book away and I was like, yeah, but what what's the alternative <laughs> what are you gonna do feel like this forever so I, I picked it back up and i got to it but yeah. still yeah 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 well so so you got it you know so yes it's so so it's it's a bit daunting so you know that's something that i've learned certainly over the last <laughs> 10 years or so as we've we've been structuring and, and designing sort of our our global curriculum for getting things done mm -hmm. and you know, I, I'm not an instructional designer. I'm not, that's not my area of expertise, but we've had a lot of people who are, mm -hmm. who've then looked at it and said, God, you got to simplify this, David. You got to make it easier to, to play. You know, you got to, you know, tone it down. So that's been somewhat agonizing to me. It's like, okay, oh, yeah, okay, let's make it simpler, but I want to make sure that the whole game is in there in case somebody wants it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's a lot of what we've been doing is actually, you know, simplifying the methodology so it was easier for people to play. Yeah, I can imagine that if you take kids as an audience, that that automatically happens. Have you worked a lot with children and implementing the methodology? I haven't. No, no. Catherine and I don't have kids. We know, you know, people. The, the two co-authors, you know, of the book, they did really the heavy lifting of most of the writing of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but Mike was my CEO for several years, and he raised his two kids. They're, you know, one of them's in college now, one of them's, you know, a teenager. Mm -hmm. And he, from the early days, he was teaching them this stuff. So he's got a lot of examples of, you know, what really worked well. I think that. And, and the other co-author, Mark Wallace, Mark is a, is a public school teacher in Minneapolis in the U.S. And he, he ran across GTD and blew him away. And he said, I can't hold this back from my kids. And so he's been teaching his kids, you know, in the public school. They're 9, 10, and 11 years old. So he's already seen that it's possible for them to get it. You know, mm. they get it easy, actually, probably even easier than a lot of adults get it. Yeah. They go, okay, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering about that because um, I, was, I was wondering about the link towards the education system. 
Mm. Uh, we talked to a lot of guests and they all seem to have an opinion about what could be improved about uh, the education system as well. And mm. I always think, well, we should teach kids like a system, like something like GTD, at least the basics. Because um, nowadays, the first time you get in touch with that for maybe an hour is when you start doing your... Um, what do you, what do you, university and uh, so your uh, your science degree or something then maybe if you're lucky in the first week at school they're going to tell you a bit a little bit about time management and that's when you have an education that actually thinks that's important and and they get to check that mark yeah they know how to work with a system now and we both know that that can't be taught in an hour sure so how is that uh, that, that yeah. experiment working out where he's teaching getting things done to these nine and ten year olds works well works really well they get it you know I walked in one day and you know, there were 20 kids doing weekly reviews. You know, they had, and Mark had the, the week, weekly review checklist on the wall. Uh-huh. And he said, just go check with them and see what they're doing, David. So I, you know, one kid, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm getting clean. You know, what was that? He was just clearing out his pack of all the stuff he'd accumulated during the week, uh-huh. right? And then it's somebody else. I said, what are you doing? Well, we're getting current. You know, we're a little behind on my math homework, so I'm ca- catching up so that we can get creative. Walked over to two girls and said, what are you doing? Well, we've gotten clean and we've gotten current, so we're being creative right now. I said, well, what are you doing? And they were surfing the web to see how to design a, you know, a successful interview program on TV. Mm-hmm. And they're 10 years old. Yeah. Right? So, so they got it. You know, they were obviously doing, the, you know, and you know, most adults go, oh, the weekly review, I can't get it. You know, I'm yeah. not going to do it. So, you know, that I've always thought, well, the kids, if we were going to, if we could reach the kids, that would make the biggest difference out there mm. in that way. And, and, you know, again, most school systems, they're being given information, but not taught how to process it. Yeah. You know, and that's the, you know, I don't know, you know, all the studies, but basically, you know, <laughs> most of the kids graduating from your schools right now will, will, you know, the, there are jobs that you don't even know yet. That they're going to be ha- that they'll be you know involved in yeah you know and things are changing so fast and uh, you know and funny I I just I ran met a woman I don't know a few months ago her son is eleven years old he had five thousand WhatsApps on his phone what I was like whoa my God she said well he was smart enough to go yeah I don't bother too much about all that he was still doing his homework but you know kind of the, the the plethora of inputs. That the kids are are dealing with, yeah. And again, to Taylor's point, you know, it's highly addictive too, you know, uh-huh. the social media thing because, you know, one of the one of the basic ways you can create an addiction is random positive reinforcement. And there's probably no <laughs> more random positive reinforcement than social media. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of crap, but there's a lot of cool cool stuff. You know, so. Yeah, and it feels a certain way. Yeah. I get it. You yeah. mean with all the all the gratification and likes and and hearts and those oh yeah yeah huge we joke around a lot here that we wouldn't have managed if we were teens now we would have been hopelessly lost (laughs) no internet for us in our teens and that was probably for the best yeah (laughs) really yeah so what is the um uh the big what is the big hill for adults doing their weekly review is it confronting? It's just, it, you know, it's just a, a habit that you, it's one of the toughest habits to build in because you just think, I don't have time to sit down and regroup. You know, you just get too busy and you're not doing it. And and it's just uh, uh, something that people really have to, you know, get themselves used to that feeling, you know, of doing it. And it seems to be, you know, over these years, uh, I ran across, I can't remember exactly what the source of it was, but I ran across a study that, that, 
that if you go longer than about seven or eight days for something and trying to remember what happened like nine or 10 days ago, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. Mm -hmm. But if you can catch it within the last seven days, some part of you can, you know, create context much easier. So there's, there's a kind of a control alt delete. There's kind of a data dump that happens after mm -hmm. about seven days in terms of just you remembering stuff. So there does seem to be something about a weekly sort of cycle, mm -hmm. you know, to, to kind of bring up the rear guard, as I say, and get yourself current. Because mm -hmm. come on, every one of us has probably had stuff in the, show up in the last three or four days that you know you got to do something about, but you haven't had time to sit down and identify what the project is or what you're going to do about it next as the next step. You just know you got it. Mm -hmm. So we, we've got to build in those kind of times. And certainly the... Over the years, you know, I've dealt with a lot of people in the corporate training world, you know, who were responsible for executive education in their companies. And, you know, without fail, they usually say the biggest need is reflection time. Mm -hmm. And if they're not building that in, if an executive is not building in sufficient reflection time to mm -hmm. think strategically, to think creatively, to think whatever, you know, they're, they're going to be driven by latest and loudest and yeah. not, by, not strategy. There was a, a teacher here, Michaela Skippers. She teaches at Erasmus University, mm -hmm. and um, she was also involved with the future offering program they did uh, in, I think, the Erasmus University with uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson. And she basically said there's this holy uh, free unison of progress, which is goal setting, consistency, so the way you organize your work. But the biggest part, and the often most neglected part, is the reflection part. It's like that. It's it's what you need to. Uh, and in Agile and Scrum, we already learned this in making software. You can't determine the end goal um, without evaluating what you've learned along the way. Your 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 information going to change. What you want is going to change, uh, and that's why you need to do these things because most people just put a mark on the horizon and just keep going without evaluating where they are. So that's the way she explained it. Yeah. It's very important to process what you've learned in order to change your course. It should be a, uh, an yeah, basically an iteration. Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. Couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, even though this is more high-level uh, reflection, I mean, the, the weekly review obviously has a little bit more operational s side to it sure. as well. Yeah, mm. it does, but but, but you, you can also include in the weekly review looking at your bigger game, looking at bigger pictures, looking at the orient orienting yourself using maps. And really, it's all about just creating maps for yourself to look mm -hmm. at. You know, I was a sailor for, you know, had my own sailboat for a couple of years. And I, you know, it's such a great analogy because the map room has a lot of different maps, right? But you don't, you want to make sure you're looking at the right map if you're trying to get out of the harbor so you don't hit something. But uh -huh. you also want to make sure then, then you pull out another map to make sure you get to Hawaii instead of Canada, right? So there's all these different maps that you need to see to locate yourself in space and time. Mm -hmm. So GTD is really about creating orienting maps. You know, you go out for errands. Let me see all the errands I need to run. You know, let me look at the 45 or 75 projects I've got. And again, most people have 30 to 100 projects, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of a broad definition of something that something you can't finish with one action step that you can finish within the next few weeks or months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, most people have huge inventories of stuff they haven't even identified yet. But if you once you get that inventory, that's, again, why it's so critical to get 100% out. So you know you're looking at the whole game. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, I, I think a lot of people keep stuff in their head. It gives them a false sense of control. By keeping it in their head. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah, and it's Guilty. something they like to Guilty. brag about. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I can remember everything. And it's like, all right, so what did you eat four days ago? It's <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. But that's not important. No, but still. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, something I have a question uh, uh, on, um, and you might know something about, is the topic of procrastination. Mm. I think you've noticed this. You can probably teach someone to slice and dice everything to the first action they need to do. They have a list. They know exactly what to do and they have the time, but still they don't do it. Yeah. What's that? I don't know. You'd have to take the person very specifically and say why are they resisting doing it. They may be resisting because it's just not that important anymore. You know, a lot of people have stuff on their list because it was important at one point, mm -hmm. and they're still on the list. Mm -hmm. But life has changed. You know, you've changed. You know, things have moved forward. You know, you need to move it to someday maybe list or just dump it. Mm -hmm. You know, so sometimes it's because the thing isn't that relevant anymore, and people just need to become more conscious about that. Um, or if it is relevant and they're still avoiding it, oftentimes I think it's because they still, even if they've sliced it down to the very next action step, they don't feel like they can engage in that action step successfully. Mm. I mean, the greatest human fear is the fear of being out of control. Yeah. You know, people are killing themselves and each other as we speak just to maintain or achieve a sense of, of psychological control as that powerful a driver of human behavior. Um, for us normal, sane people, the way that shows up is you tend to not want to engage with something that you don't feel like you can control immediately, yeah. successfully. Uh, so where the outcome is unsure, it kind of creates a fear. Of or you just don't know what the next step is. You know, yeah. and if you haven't decided the very next action step, is that boot computer? Is that surf the web? Is that send an email? Is that talk to your partner? What's the very next thing you need to do? If you haven't figured that out yet, then there's a gap. There's a void between here and the outcome. Mm -hmm. And so it requires thinking. Again, back to our point of thinking and decision making. If you don't make that decision about what doing would look like, yeah. you know, the two elements of getting things done are what does done mean? And what does doing look like and where does it happen? Mm -hmm. And once you clarify those things, it lowers the barrier of entry like tremendously. I mean, but to your point, if you're still avoiding doing it, it probably because you haven't got it granular enough. Yeah. And there's still pumps some part of you. See, the people who procrastinate the most are the most sensitive, creative, and intelligent people. Right? Because your, your sensitivity and intelligence and creativity you know, allow you to, in a quarter of a second to generate incredible phantoms and evil demons that that's going to you know, eat you alive if it's not done totally perfectly. Ah, oh, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So you freak yourself out. Guilty, guilty. <laughs> oh, come on, guilty. who doesn't procrastinate? The people you give stuff to do, they go, okay, go, go, go. Like they're so, they're so thick and insensitive, they're not aware of all the stuff that could go wrong. The grunts. They could, you know. So, <laughs> so you have to intelligently dumb yourself down Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, you know, that's tricky business, you know. I think that's interesting. I, I, the, the, with granular, um, what you mean more specific. More specific. Yes. You know, you know, if you're a, if you're a, well, let's say you're an accountant and you do people's taxes, right? Uh, you might have a, you know, Cindy, to do Cindy's taxes might be one single action because it's just so simple and, you know, no, no big deal. You're not freaking yourself out. But to do Jose's taxes, you know, that's going to take you a week long, uh, you know, amount of stuff. So, you know, you need to get it granular enough that some part of you can see yourself doing it successfully to begin with. Mm. You see yourself getting started, essentially, you know, so you know what the kickstart is on this. And, you know, again, that's probably the biggest reason people procrastinate is so, they, so they haven't figured that out. In this particular case, do you mean because we know for, uh, like, uh, Karen, the tax return is manageable because we got the scope in mind. It's like, oh, this is like yeah. two farms. You can do it in one sitting. You yeah. Know, it's an obvious exactly. thing to do. And yeah. for Jose, for example, you uh, the, the right thing to do might, it might be to chop up that big task into a few smaller tasks. Sure. Yeah. You know, actually, just what's the very next thing you would need to do to do Jose's taxes? Oh, God. 
oh, you know what I probably ought to do is, yeah, and that's that's the thinking process most people go through. Mm. But believe me, I spent thousands of hours with some of the best and brightest people sitting down with them, having them agonize through those decisions yeah. about all the stuff that's that they've written down. Yeah. Something I've noticed as well is that the the, um, the size of the next action um, or the way you describe it also has an effect. Um, for example, if I tell you, make an appointment with Wickard, you put that on your list, you're like, all right, I can do that. But if but you might not do it. And if I say, look up Wickard's number or email address, then all of a sudden it's, oh yeah, I can do that, let's go. Right. So, yeah, it has to be that granular so you can see, you can see ex actually how to do it. Set meeting is not a next action. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Right email is. Write an email to set the next next yeah. appointment to, yeah. for example. Yeah. So you need to formulate it as something. Yeah, it's one of the things people will oftentimes what causes people to fall off the wagon. Uh, you know, they may have started GTD and started it, but ultimately they kind of fall off. And the reason, one of the biggest reasons, is they let themselves get lazy and start putting non-next actions on their action list. Mm -hmm. Then when you look at it, some part of you knows well. I still have to think and decide about that, and I don't have the energy to think and decide right now. Stop reminding me I'm overwhelmed. And most people's to-do lists, you'll see things like mom or bank, yeah. you know, or tooth. Safe or, marriage. You know, or VP of finance. And you say, yeah, great. So what are you going to need to do about your tooth or the VP of finance? Oh, yeah. I guess I got to decide. Mm -hmm. And that that's oftentimes what people are avoiding is the decision-making. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how painful that process actually is. <laughs> <laughs> until until you get used to it. I mean, again, that is one of the habits you can actually build, so mm -hmm. you just start to think that way. But it is a cognitive muscle you have to train. You have to train yourself to think outcome and action. Yeah, you get they stronger. Don't, they don't show up by themselves. Certainly as knowledge workers. I mean, knowledge work, you know, started, you know, th that changed the game out there because it was no longer self-evident what your work was. You actually had to think to decide what the work is. And the late, great Peter Drucker would tell everybody, your toughest job as a knowledge worker is to define what your work is because it doesn't show up self-defined, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you actually have to sit down and think, <laughs> you know, what does what done mean and what does doing look like? And those don't show up by themselves. You're not born doing it. Oh, oh that's interesting. It, well, it, it just, if you want to be really cynical, you could say that we're not built for that, that kind of complexity. Because if you look at what knowledge workers do uh, compared to what you're meant to do, like the brain, uh, it's, 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 it's supposed to solve problems like, well, we have this chasm over here. There's a banana on the other side. I have a stick and there's a vine hanging there. I could probably fix this. But that's a pretty crude problem to solve. And what I've noticed is that it gets harder the, 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 the more detailed and the more intricate it gets. That's where, for me personally, it gets harder. Mm -hmm. High-level stuff, it's pretty, yeah, sure, action, we do this. But... The thinking is in the detail. The, the devil is in the details, basically. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, hard, it's a hard process. How do you um, successfully maybe coax or uh, get people to do this? I mean, that's probably a big part of your career is helping people get this integrated into their system enough to keep doing it. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I've been I've agonized for 35 years about how to do that and how to get better at convincing people that this is a really good thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, people really need to engage with this to really get it. I mean, you can understand it just cognitively, you know, 
get stuff out of your head, clarify actions and outcomes, park the things in appropriate trusted places, reflect and review on the inventory on a consistent basis. So you make trusted choices about what you do. I mean, that's, that's, that is the methodology, mm -hmm. right? So you can understand that, but to actually then do that where you, you know, go through the process, um, that's a lot of what we, you know, our training is getting people to actually engage with this so they get a chance to, oh my God, oh wow, that feels a lot different. Mm -hmm. Now I can see light at the end of the tunnel. Now I can see this. So getting people to engage with it. A lot of my work, I guess, has been sort of like the, you know, used car salesman. Hey, come on in folks. It's great. You know, and I just, <laughs> I just need to go model this stuff and demonstrate what it's like to have nothing on your mind, mm -hmm. to have a busy life. You know, because that's just who I am and how I am. Yeah. So a lot of it is just modeling that and letting people see. Mm -hmm. it, it took me a while. You know, in the early days, you know, I was kind of showed up as kind of a corporate guy because that's a lot of what my work was, was in the, in the corporate training world. And the first edition of the book was really targeted to the fast track professional because they were the people first getting hit with the tsunami of emails and so mm. forth. And they were the hungriest for it. And they were in organizations that were willing to pay for the training and the coaching. So that we, it was targeted that way. But then, you know, we had some really smart folks take a look at it and they go, gee, David, if you, when people meet you, you don't look at, you, you don't, you're nothing like what they thought I was going to be. Everybody thinks that I'm this anal retentive, you know, like highly organized, you know, like structured guy. And I, that is, that is the furthest from, you know, how, who I am and how I am. So for us to be a little more authentic in terms of just showing up and for me too, you know, that was a big change in our brand. So if you go look at our website right now, you'll see me out in the front yard and, you know, and I'm not in a suit and tie anymore. Oh. Yeah. So that was, that was a change for us to sort of reflect, come on guys, this is, this is all about, it's not about sweating harder. It's not about working harder. It's really about, you know, being able to be present with whatever you're doing. Yeah. Making that the message, that was a pretty big turnaround for us. To well, seriously, I think it's a tool to improve your life quality. Sure. Definitely, because one of the biggest uh, benefits that uh, working with a system has brought me is that it it made me aware of the stuff that is going well, that the progress that is being made. I mean, uh, we talked about endorphins and uh, some addictions that social media bring. Um, you know what's uh, really addictive too? Putting on checks on a task list. No it's kidding. Very yeah. addictive. And, and you know that's it's it's funny, Michelle, because you mentioned you've got kind of gone back to paper. For 20 plus years, I used a paper planner and it was really great because I would make my list in, in ballpoint pen and then just it, I carried a highlighter with me. So whenever I finished something, I could highlight across it. Then the, all the unhighlighted ones, things would sta stand out, but boy, just, just that feeling of, oh, yes. done, you know, <laughs> yeah. yay, like you know, it's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So Plus what it, the, the, so, so that's an aspect and what it really does is, uh, because everything that gets your attention, um, Usually the first thing she should move on, at least uh, maybe you have a different opinion, is um, the stuff that grabs your attention in a negative way. So the, your stressors. So if you start writing down everything that's in your mind and you say, well, well, this one, this is really keeping me up at night. And you get taught a method to sort of attack that problem. Uh, then something very strange happens. You get less stressed. Yeah. Because you start moving on something that's negative, it's less intimidating, and you start actually improving it. For example, if your health is an issue and you start defining your first action, that is to find a personal trainer, and you got one, you start moving, well, you actually start doing something that you wouldn't have done without the assistance of a system. Well, you know, what this does is it's a kind of a Trojan horse, you know, the idea in terms of just self help and personal growth. Because I don't, I, 
I don't approach telling people they need to be accountable and responsible for you know everything in their life. I just ask them what that piece of paper means and what are they going to do with it. And what happens is that it automatically moves them out of complaining and victim mode into the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. You know, decide what to do about that potential divorce. Decide what to do about that health issue. Decide what to do about it, and it gets people back in the driver's seat mm-hmm. again. Yeah. And that's what that's what's so different and why it improves the quality of your life. Doesn't mean it's easy. You know, it doesn't mean, you know, this GTD is not about being easy. No. You know, if life was easy, you'd never grow or expand or express yourself, yeah. uh, you know, whatever. But what it does is it, you need to be in the driver's seat as opposed to be the victim of mm-hmm. the, uh, of, yeah. of those things. I think it's all about that. It's uh, it's about the proactivity. Yeah. And not, uh, re- like you said, most people react. They don't live. They just react to the impulses that happen. And that kind of puts them in positions where they might not want to be, but they're not, they don't really have a plan. So they become part of other people's yeah. plans. Yeah. And I, I just finished a, a great book, by the way. If you haven't read it, uh, I highly recommend it. I don't know if it's in Dutch or not. It's called The Antidote. Uh, happiness for people who are sick of positive thinking. Um, <laughs> okay. That's, it's that's really a, new, a great book, by the way. It's, 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 and the content is even much more sophisticated than the title sounds. Uh, it goes into a lot of the stoicism and, you know, that, that, as opposed to just go be happy, 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 you know, just the acceptance of reality is where happiness is really going to come from. Yeah. So acceptance of those things you might consider negative experiences or whatever, mm-hmm. that that's the source really of satisfaction. Yeah. And I like the word satisfaction as opposed to happy. You know, I'm satisfied with my life. You know, I think that's a much more stable sort of a uh, underlying, you know, um, nice place to be. Yeah, I don't need to be happy to be satisfied. Right. And I think I'd be rather I'd rather be satisfied than happy. Mm-hmm. Think about it. And if you think satisfaction, I mean if, if it comes from the Latin, you know, satis enough and facere to, to doing. There's a sufficient number amount of doing mm-hmm. is is you know the etymology of the word satisfaction. Yeah. So yeah, so the, I think that's a much more elegant way to to approach life. So yeah. do you think we live in a society that is aiming too much for 100% happiness? Mm, well, you know, certainly, you know, certainly the, the, the advertisers certainly, you know, try to capitalize on that. Yeah, you that's know, why I asked, because the book obviously caught your interest, so. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out he's a GTD, or Oliver Berkman is the, is the author. And uh, so I'm going to interview him next week. Um, yeah, good book. Yeah, I think we could u- use a little bit more stoicism. Stoicism, is, is it just acceptance, or is it o- is it also... Uh, reframing uh, an experience or some or, or a fact to make it, for example, if you get fired, that could be the worst thing, or that could be an opportunity. Right? Is that stoicism? Look yeah. at that. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, w- w- you know, as best I understand it, I mean, I never really studied the Stoics, you know, that much or, or, or read a lot of it, but Oliver did, you know, did quite a bit, uh, and you know, because he, he he's done all the mindfulness stuff, he's done all that, and all a lot of that has to do with just acceptance, you know, about what's real. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, that acceptance is, you know, puts you in a different state of mind, you know, about any and all of those things. You can operate much more f- functionally, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not trying to resist those things. Yeah, I get it. I think that um, this uh, happiness culture that we have also has something, to, uh, I think it's uh, the, the thing, everybody wants to feel uh, 
ultimately happy. I think that's really a Western thing, maybe something that in, in, in countries like Holland is really a thing, because Stoicism, uh, at its height, it was in a period of time where, well, life could really, really suck. I mean, it, it, I think it uh, especially, uh, didn't it, um, like sort of a rise in old Rome? Like the Greeks. The, I have, I have this, uh, it's connected to uh, legionnaires and, uh, and uh, like, wasn't there Seneca? Mm-hmm. And Marcus Aurelius are f- right. famous Stoics, right? Right. B- military men that know a life of discomfort and know death from up close. Right. I think there's something to do with that as well. And we are mm-hmm. so removed from that, we have no idea. And I think that's why people allow themselves these happy, happy, joy, joy thoughts. But if you had a taste of what life could be really like, you, you would ignore that immediately because you know life is not like that. Yeah, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. I like Marcus Aurelius when he was writing about how he was writing in morning journals about how he would be surrounded the rest of the day by cheaters and people who would uh, try to kill him or whatever, mm-hmm. Dis- disliked him. And uh, yeah, that was his way of getting it out of his head and going through the day. His book Meditations is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's all about this morning. Uh, ah, basically, it's his view on the, on the world. And it's, uh, it's stoicism, stoicism as well. Yeah, yeah, a lot of acceptance in there. What I, what I like about Stoics as well, I'm, I'm not sure if that's 100% correct, but I think there's uh, something in there about seeing the humor in things. That mm-hmm. that's very important as well to be able to, you know, deal with whatever ugliness is in front of you. Yeah, I always find that amazing. You should be able to laugh. We are in, in, what do you call it? Gallows humor. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of black humor. It gets you a long way. Especially uh, when uh, like when uh, life is uh, not really uh, cooperating, let's say. Well, it's certainly a key to long-term relationships. Sense humor. Of, sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> How long have that's, you been that's, married? That's, that's, <laughs> that's real romance is a sense of humor. When, yeah. you, when, you can, when you can both laugh at each other and at the situation. Yeah, that'll that'll keep it alive and well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. How how long have you been married? This time? Yes. Oh, this time there have been more times. Uh, four. Yeah. Uh, this time, Catherine and I were married in 1991. So golly, you know, we're we're 29 years, 20, 28 years. Wow. Is it the longest one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the secret here is humor, or are there? Uh, uh, sec- humor is always a secret. Always special sauce. Yeah. yeah, but as someone who has had uh, a couple of relations as well that all seem to fall throughout the seven-year period, what would be the big tip you would give me? <laughs> <laughs> well, the big the big tip is to make sure what really makes for a long-term relationship is that you're not looking at each other. You're both looking at the same thing. So you're both looking in the same direction, but not necessarily at each other. Yeah. So oh. if you can share the direction that you're going in, uh, that's, you know, that's a real key. Yeah. And looking at each other will last you about six months. <laughs> the honeymoon weeks last uh, yeah. only about that amount yeah. of time. Yeah. And when that fades and that's all you had, you're not going to last. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Interesting. So common goal. Yeah. Our common values, common goal, common directionality, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. Maybe common em- enemies every now and then. Nothing bonds yeah. like a common enemy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> cool. Sure. We're on time, guys. Uh, I have to get to... Um, what time is it? 12. Really? A little bit, little bit for 12. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that flew by again. Zing. It seems to be a tendency. Is yeah. this the last time that we've had you in the studio, or we can we try it in another three years again? So oh, come on. To? You know, another three years, I'll be older and smarter. Yeah. You, know, you guys will be older and smarter. Yeah. We, Hopefully. We, maybe we had the king in the studio here. That would be fun. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Talk about a desired outcome. Yeah. 
All right. Um, yeah, um, we didn't get, yeah, I think we're going to have to do that because there's uh, something coming up in 2021. There's a Getting Things Done June Summit. 2021, yeah, the GTD Global Summit. We did one 10 years ago. Didn't want to, I didn't know that I was going to do another one, but now because our work has gone pretty global mm -hmm. and we just have an incredible array. We've got over 40 presenters that are coming on their own dime and, you know, just wanted to share. They're all friends of mine. They're all champions of GTD. Marshall Goldsmith, Dan Pink, um, Charles Duig, uh, Katie Coleman, one of the first female astronauts. We coached her while she was on the space station. Wow. So a lot of really, really cool folks. So yeah, take a, just go to gtdsummit.com. Take a look. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, we hope to see you soon. Yay. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks all for right. being here. Fun as usual. Thanks for listening, guys. Ciao.